Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome uh, back to the third hour of our three-hour tour, or as I like to call it, the third half of our three-hour tour. And we're going to talk uh, with a longtime baseball journalist and author of a new book called Escape from Castro's Cuba, Tim Wendell. Uh, Tim, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Tom. Um, Tim, I, the title of the book is Escape from Castro's Cuba, so of course it's about baseball. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, there's, some, there's a lot of baseball in it. It's, it's actually, um, um, it's funny because it's, a, it's technically a sequel to my first novel, um, and I've done a number of nonfiction books, too. Probably some of your audience would know... Uh, Summer of 68, about the Detroit Tigers and everything, which uh, I did for, um, what was that, DeCapo back in the day. But um, Escape is a sequel to Castro's Curveball, my first novel, which came out like 20-some years ago. And I thought I was done with uh, baseball in Cuba. Tom, I, you know, I've been to the island four times. I've been there, got the T-shirt, I'm moving on. And then this last trip just opened my eyes. It was early 2017, January of 2017. I had my wife with me, uh, which had me a little bit on edge because Havana and Cuba is safe enough, but you're never quite sure maybe what's going to happen. And we landed at Havana Airport. We went to the old part of the airport. Um, A lot of it's all built up now, but we landed, came down the steps, from the aircraft, which was a Southwest Airlines, believe it or not, walking across the tarmac, and this guy saddles in next to me, 
And in Spanish says, what brings you back to Cuba again, Senior Wendell? And I went, oh, my gosh, they know I'm here already. We hadn't even cleared customs yet. So it really? was uh, that kind of opened my eyes. We were fouled a bit, but we met some amazing folks. And that's what got me thinking about going back and doing uh, another book set in Cuba. Many of the same characters, Billy Bryan, who's this minor league, uh, washed up minor league catcher who's now um, approaching 80. And it was fun to kind of peel those back and see a place that's gotten under my skin like Havana has, but then bring a lot of these old characters that are still in my head, uh, you know, back to back to that place again. You know, I introduced you, Tim, as a longtime baseball journalist, and I didn't realize that sports writers specialized. Hmm. Well, we got kind of pushed into it at times. I've I've covered, <laughs> and it's funny how it it, uh, it kind of plays out. It's not. I'm known as a baseball guy um, because I've covered a lot of baseball. I was one of the founders of Baseball Weekly at USA Today back in the early '90s, etc. And then the other night, I was just thinking the way I got into baseball, and the first trip to Cuba was in 1991, which came off baseball. I'm down there covering the two national teams before the Barcelona Olympics. But the only way I got into baseball is I was in San Francisco working for that paper. I was actually covering the America's Cup sailing in Australia, which was a great gig. You know, hell, we'll send you to Australia yeah. for a month. Yeah, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> and I came back and I kind of went, well, you know, I think I've done about everything maybe I can do here. And we were contemplating a move back east, back to the D.C. area. And I got a call uh, from the sports editor saying, would you like to do baseball? And I went, uh, yeah, but how did this happen? You've got baseball reporters left and right. And he had one of the guys had been picked up for DWI or something, second or third offense. Oh, no. And he, he couldn't drive anymore. Everything was fine. but And so uh, literally less than a week before that season started, this was 86, I remember still going down to the Seven Eleven and getting all those, um, you know, you know, annual guides, you know, like the Street and the Smiths or whatever they were, and just yeah. trying to get up to speed on baseball. And that's that's what put me in the baseball, and it's been a fun, crazy ride. Um, were you a baseball fan as a kid? Yeah, um, I was. I played more hockey. And I ran track more than I played baseball, but I played little league on up the pony. I could not hit a curveball, so um, my future in that wasn't very good. But I well, that's I why they enjoyed... throw them, Tim. <laughs> well, certainly throw them to guys like me. <laughs> so, look at that guy; he can't hit a curveball. We'll give him a whole bunch of runs, and then, of course, I never could. Um, but I always liked um, the ambiance and. And it wasn't until years later, I was at Dodger Stadium, actually with a couple Hollywood people, which is always a strange conversation. And this one guy, it was his very first game he'd ever been to. And I grew up, uh, I actually grew up, uh, my brother, Chris, is a longtime Detroit Tiger fan because of our family connections up in Traverse City. I grew up more of a, a Blue Jay fan, and actually I was a Red Sox fan. Don't Don't savage me too much on that because... That was my little league team, so I kind of followed them. But we're in in this game at Dodger Stadium. Tom 
and this Hollywood guy, I don't know if he's a producer or whatever, you know, they all talk kind of weird. And all of a sudden he goes, I get it now. And I go, what do you get? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, he said, that diamond out there, you know, where the picture is and all that. And I'm going, yeah. And he goes, that's kind of like the stage, isn't it? And, the, and nothing starts until that picture puts things in motion and things kind of take off. And I found it kind of eloquent and kind of, especially from a theatrical point of view. So I certainly grew up a fan. Um, like I say, wasn't much of a player, but I think that's sometimes a pretense to writing about something. You know, something maybe you love and maybe there's a different way you can get into it. I, I was never a big sports fan, but I've had a couple of very memorable uh, baseball experiences. Um, going to see the Tigers when I was a little kid, of course, down in Detroit was, you know, my, my first exposure. But I was on the road as a musician, and a bunch of us went to a ball game at Three Rivers Stadium. And uh, it was a doubleheader between the Pirates and the Dodgers, and it was Willie Stargell Day. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even know who Willie Stargell was. And the funny <laughs> thing about it is, my sister, who's a, a big baseball fan, um, when I got home from the trip, I was back in town, and uh, she said, "How was you know how was the gig in Pittsburgh and so on?" And I said, "Oh, it was great. I went to a baseball game." And she said, oh, my God, was Willie Stargell there? <laughs> I thought even my sister knew who this guy was. sister knew Willie Stargell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how did baseball become such a big thing in Cuba? It's, they've been playing it, Tom, almost as long on the island as they have here in, in the States. So it, it dates back well over a century. And it was brought um, by students who were studying in the States and kind of, you know, in America and brought it to the island. But where things differentiate and what I love about it, and this turned my head, especially on that first trip in 91 and then subsequent trips, is it's, it's a game, you know, it's viewed as very radical there. It's not traditional necessarily because it was a game of the independent Cuba. And by that I mean when the island was under the control of the Spain, uh, Spain, for example, one of the things you would do to kind of show that you wanted an independent Cuba, that you weren't that excited about the Spanish, for instance, having control, is you go out in the jungle and play this radical new game called baseball. So it's always been kind of cutting edge. It's always been huh. a game of the revolution. And it's always been, if you wanted to, in essence, you know, make a stand against the government, you were a baseball fan, which is totally kind of, you know, uh, you know, opposite in some ways of what baseball is perceived as in the United States. Here it's perceived as almost too traditional, almost too staid. It's mom and apple pie. And well, it's America's pastime. Right. And it's very much Cuba's pastime, but for this idea of an independent Cuba. And it's funny because they had a very famous winter ball league which is um a part of escape from castro's cuba it's part of castro's curveball the the original which only had four teams play in it but it was very much similar to you know you and your family maybe with the tigers or um <laughs> you know you know friends of mine who grew up yankee fans it, it would be handed down a little bit within the family and then these four teams what were they uh habana lions Amadora, scorpions 
San Fuego's Gray Monks. Boy, I always loved that nickname, and I've forgotten the fourth one off. Oh, somebody, oh, San Fuego Elephants. And so those, you you were raised to be a fan of one of those teams. And, um, and then you had kind of this American veneer over the top where so many amazing players played in this winter ball league of only four teams like Brooks Robinson, Tommy Lasorda, Frank Robinson, uh, Willie Mays. It goes on and on. And they would just kind of come down and this would be part of their winter ball thing. And they would play on these teams too, Minnie Minoso, et cetera. So it, it's the same, yet it's different. And um, that's one of the things I really love about it once I found out. Was Castro himself a uh, a baseball fan? Did he did he play baseball before he came to power when um, when it might have been uh, kind of an anti-establishment ritual? Um, and and did his coming to power then help to legitimize baseball in Cuba? Yeah. Yes. To both. I mean, it, it, there's I supposedly, and this is kind of the legend, and I don't think it's necessarily true, but supposedly Castro, when he was in his early 20s, was scouted by the Washington Senators, by the New York Giants. And there was even rumors, and I, I heard these down there, where he potentially even signed a contract, and they t- and then they tore it up. Boy, the world would have been different if they buried Fidel Castro in the minor leagues, like in Spokane, Washington, or Asheville, <laughs> North Carolina, yeah. or something. But he—he's a very much. Um, he knew how to. He always knew how to play tradition and legend. And so, yes, he was very much a ball fan. When he came out of high school, he would have been considered. And he grew up kind of on the eastern end of the island. He was kind of a hick, but then he moved to Havana. And coming out of high school, he was considered a blue chip kind of athlete. He played baseball. He excelled at basketball, volleyball, ping pong, believe it or not. Always very competitive. But where, so, you know, could he have played in the major leagues or not? Probably not. But that's one of the things I love playing with uh, in both novels. But what we do know for sure is he knew the island so well in this vein of uh, baseball being for the revolution and independent Cuba that when he was uh, when they took power in 59, in 1959, one of the first things he did was put together this team called Los Barbados, in a sense, the bearded ones, because remember that revolutionary army he had, they were famous for all having beards. And they toured the island and played baseball. And the people loved it because they went, ah, oh, he's one of us. He knows right. this game. And, and, and Castro would pitch. Supposedly, Che Cavera played second base. Supposedly, he was terrible. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, everybody would fill in, and, and they just barnstormed this, this country they'd just taken over, and the first kind of image they present to the world there, outside of those that were, you know, maybe fighting for them with the Army or those who knew them in Havana, was baseball. Oh, let's play baseball. See, we have your best interests at heart. Well, that wasn't true, but in a sense, that's what helped legitimize um, or solidify his uh, leadership early on. Well, this is fun. Tim, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? I'd love to, Tom. Yeah. All right. Tim Wendell is the author of Escape from Castro's Cuba, and we're talking uh, Castro, Cuba, and baseball. 
And we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Then we'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with uh, the author of Escape from Castro's Cuba, Tim Wendell. Tim joins me by phone. Tim, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, my pleasure, Tom. It's good to hear all that Michigan stuff. Um. Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about Castro and his uh, relationship with baseball. But how did it come to be that uh, um, it, it seems to me, and maybe it's just because of a couple of stories that have been really hyped, but it, it seems like uh, recruiting Cuban baseball players is a big thing. And um, is it? it are, are they sought after? Uh, as a rule, yeah, are they especially good players? Well, I, I think, yeah, they're, they're good players. I, I think it's somewhat um, almost a novelty in a way. Oh, let's get a Cuban on our team, et cetera. Um, it's, it's interesting because back in the 40s and 50s, they were kind of a cheap um, source of baseball talent. And you had you know many great ones come off the island. Uh, Dolph Luque, who was a pitcher, uh, probably the one people know the best is Arrestes Minimanoso, who played many years with the White Sox. And then things kind of changed, especially after Castro takes control, the embargo comes in, etc. Um, it, it, that kind of two-way street where American players would go down and train or play during the winter wasn't happening. And uh, Players like Louis Tian, Tony Oliva, et cetera, trying to get off the island became increasingly problematic. And it was probably one way. And then talking with Louis Tian, who, who uh, endorsed uh, Escape from Castos Cuba, which I'm very happy about. You know, we've talked, he and I have talked about when he left the island to come pitch, uh, you know, eventually uh, in, the, in the American major leagues with Cleveland and then with Boston, he knew in leaving he wasn't sure when he was going to be able to come back, and, and it was several decades later. Now, what's going on today, and this is one of the things that, that turned my head uh, when I was down for the last trip in 2017, which got me thinking about writing about Cuba and baseball and Havana uh, again, was it used to be in a sense, trying to, you know, you would defect and you even some would even take a raft across the Straits of Florida. Um, uh, Al Duque, Orlando Hernandez, who pitched for the Yankees, comes to mind. These days, they're being spirited off by cigarette boats by Mexican crime syndicates, a lot of them. They go to a third country like Costa Rica or Mexico or whatever it may be. Then they're able to sell they're they they're in a sense sell their services sign a bigger contract because they don't go through the draft for the major leagues they can sell themselves to the highest bidder and be showcased there's a new documentary out which i highly recommend about three cuban guys ball players who defected somehow got to costa rica um called the last out and it's really how cutthroat it's become, especially when you get the crime syndicates involved, uh, a guy like uh, 
uh, Russell Puig, who played for the Dodgers, supposedly he had the pledge 20% of whatever he agreed to in a contract to the crime syndicate that got him off the island. So that's, you know, you know, you're thinking about it as a writer, as a novelist, you're going, oh, that's a fun new element. Let's have some fun with that. And in a sense, it's not drifting across shark-infested waters in a raft, even though right. that's pretty interesting. It's, oh, okay, which deal are you making with a crime syndicate and how quickly that can go south? Havana was, at, at one time to the United States, before Castro, a, uh, a very romantic place. It was like the original Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I... Yeah. It, does it still have that that kind of romance, or or has that been um, squashed a little by by the Cuban government? It's been squashed somewhat, Tom. But I I love it. You know, the, you know, there's certain places I think you go to in your life, and they almost immediately click or get under your skin. Um, I know, like, say, northern Michigan, where my family has a cottage up on Lake Leelanau. That's one of the well, places. Well, and they say up there around. near Traverse City that uh, a view of the bay is worth half your pay. <laughs> or that so. And, <laughs> and Havana, it's funny because, you know, my Spanish is still terrible. I, I was the only way I went to the island was on assignment for USA Today, but I can still remember coming into Havana for the first time going, whoa, check this place out. And, and it's, it's much different. But I love going around Havana in, in the early morning hours or at dusk because you can imagine how beautiful this city once was. I mean, these kind of boulevards just stretching out with the royal palm trees down the, down the middle, uh, the deep water port, the, the conquistadors you know, use to kind of pull all the gold out of the new world. It's, and I love the people. They have this kind of, um, oh, gallows humor, and they don't take anything too seriously. I remember that first trip in 91, I was walking down someplace in old Havana, which looks like, you know, something from centuries ago, and this older Cuban woman stopped me. And she said, you're American? Somehow had gotten around the neighborhood, some Americans walking around their streets. And, and I said, yeah, I'm American. And, and, and I'm figuring, mm, man, I'm going to get in some trouble here or something. <laughs> and instead, she just turned the conversation and said, the next thing she said is, we never trusted the Russians. I went, what? <laughs> where where oh, are we going with funny. this? funny. <laughs> and then I said, okay, you never trusted the Russians? And she was adamant about this. And, and I said, well, why? And she said, we're much better dancers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you know, you being a music guy, I mean, boy, you hit some of those clubs after midnight, kind of going oh, downstairs yeah. into some place, and they're playing kind of this, oh, salsa or rumba, and you're going, yeah, I think I'll just sit here with a, you know, a little bit of rum on ice for the next couple hours because I'm having a great time. So, well, yeah, um, that's that was fun. my point. Um, at at one point, at at one point in time, Havana was a, a real favorite American uh, recreation destination point. Very much. As you, as you point out, it was Vegas before Vegas, and it was where, you know, I, I sometimes stay in the Nationale when I can afford it. And um, they have a number of posters in, like, the main entranceway to the Hotel Nationale, which goes back forever. And you, and you go, oh, 
there's Hemingway. Oh, there's Frank Sinatra. Oh, here's George Raft. Here's Humphrey Bogart. Right. They all stayed there and then some. It was the place to be seen. And, uh, and, and supposedly, you know, just the crowds coming in on the night ferry from uh, Florida, it was, as they say in the travel posters, so close and yet so far. And I think it was the place where Americans can go, could in the past go and be decadent and have all these you know, crazy times and then go back home to, you know, well, the farm, I guess. Great food and music and gambling. Yeah. And what, and then, then the people are pretty funny. So, you know, and then, you know, well, yeah, when you have people every who, now and then you're going great. Yeah. When, <laughs> when you have people who don't trust the Russians cause they don't dance as well. That's, that's really funny. I, my, my grandmother used to, whenever she got upset with somebody, she just, blurted out that they must be a communist <laughs> <laughs> that was that was her thing boy if you rubbed her the wrong way you were a communist <laughs> um but but speaking of that um when you're working on a book whether it was uh Castro's Curveball or now Escape from Castro's Cuba and you go to do research is is it tougher to get information or get at information how do you go about researching uh in in a place that's uh kind of closed off in many ways what what was tough tom was i knew i knew i couldn't visit it a great deal and and actually one of the things that really helped me out so much is is i feel you know stories when they come alive the place is as much a character as you know, the other characters, you know, potentially sure. in, the, in the piece, you know, it, it kind of has to be. I mean, it's the old Natalie Goldberg, the poet's line, you know, is it an angel or a demon? You know, what, which way is the place going to be? And I was really hamstrung early on. And Alan Schuess, who did the book reviews for a long time for NPR, I took a workshop from him at Johns Hopkins. That's where I did my uh, grad work. And now I teach there. And I didn't know it initially, but Alan had gotten his PhD in Caribbean literature. So he was like loaning me books and this and that. Oh, wow. And finally he said, there's a book. I, I must have lent it out. I've lost it. This would be the world for you. And I'm going, what are you talking about? And he started talking about this old um, kind of coffee table book, even though it wasn't huge, of photographs of Cuba in the 50s. And I found it eventually in the Library of Congress. It was mislabeled. It was in the wrong shelf. But I found it, and I made some copies. Then I made a second set of copies for Alan, just because I knew he enjoyed this book. And the next week after class, I just said, here you go. And he said, hang on a minute. We got some work to do now. And I really didn't know what he was talking about. And he started spreading out these Xerox copies of um, – you know, Havana Waterfront, Havana Revolutionary Square, Old Town, Hotel National, etc. And and he, he spread them out on this big table. And I said, well, well, Alan, what am I supposed to do with these? You know, I'm, I'm a little dense sometimes. And he goes, come on, when you're going to write that scene now about the waterfront, you're going to put these up on your wall and you're just going to you know, channel that. And you're going to say, yeah, that building stood next to that one. They're walking down the street. They see this. And that was that really helped out so much, and I, it allowed me to make the jump that and understand something about Havana I hadn't understood till that point, Tom. Which Havana is called the city of columns. Now in Old Town, that means 
that you can be walking on the sidewalk and they have these columns like just running along the side of the sidewalk. And you can look out to maybe the street and you can't quite see everything that's going on because the columns are there. Conversely, if you're going by in a car and someone goes, hey, hey, Tom, and, and you turn and you go, well, who is that? I can't, you know, they're back in there, right. back in the shadows. They're back behind that column. And so that was a big leap for me because that allowed me to make Havana. You're not quite sure what's in the shadows. You're not quite sure what's around the corner. It's a, a place where, you know, things can turn very quickly. And that helped me just in understanding Havana ratchet that element up. What uh, what are the columns? Do, uh, do, do they support they just, anything? Just marble. Yeah, they support some things, but they're they pretty much date back centuries, and they're pretty much just marble, you know, often circular columns. Maybe they're holding up um, a balcony or something, but you see them along the main streets through old Havana, and they date back a long, long time. And um, there's a very famous... Uh, Cuban novelist called uh, Hondo Carbonier, and he's the one who, in a sense, named Havana the city of columns. And again, was kind of playing up this intrigue, the secrets. So, you know, you're never quite sure where you stand. Are you over there and I can't quite see you or you can't quite see me, etc. So it, they actually exist and they extend out like, like fingers, like a spider's web. And uh, that, that was fun to suddenly start you know, using place and using a city in that way. That's um, that's fascinating. How much has um, Cuba changed um, since the the change in the in the top spot and um, and and the relaxing of of some of the embargo by uh, Barack Obama? Yeah, it was relaxing pretty fast, Tom, and then. We had the last administration which kind of ratcheted things back up, um, even though you could. And I can remember even a year or so ago, people saying, well, you were so lucky to go to Cuba. I can't go now. And I'm going, well, I think you still can. It's just going to be a little bit more problematic. And um, maybe you go through a third country. But, um, you know, Southwest was flying a lot of flights. Those so kind of diminished because of pressure from the White House. But what's going to be interesting now with the Biden administration is, are we going to go back to how things were being rolled out in the last um, year or so of the Obama administration? Obama was the first, what, president, U.S. president to visit Cuba in almost, I think it was well over 85 years, and went to a ball game there, etc. Um, and, you know, that's about the time the Rolling Stones played there. There's a great documentary out called Ole, 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 which ends up, you know, the, tone, the Stones touring South America and ends up and Central America ends up in Cuba uh, with their final concert uh, of that tour in Havana. But what's going to be interesting and what I'm watching right now, Tom, is one of the last things President Trump did was put Cuba on the state terrorist list for the U.S. And that's going to be a little bit more difficult for Biden and the incoming administration to, um, you know, to smooth out. That said, Biden said last week that he was reviewing everything, uh, all policy, all U.S. policy in regards to Cuba. And um, this is what they're hungry for. Is, is there, you know, you want to change the world. 
I think the way you change the world is with culture and with music and even sports. And that's what they're so hungry for in Cuba. I had a friend of mine down there at one point, and I was trying very hard to understand what it was like to live, live on the island. And he said, it's very much like there's a huge like theatrical you know, curtain, like a big black curtain that separates our two countries. And at times the curtain may peel back and I can get a glimpse of what's going on, you know, between the two countries. Other times I can hear things, you know, I'm, I get the news or whatever, but um, the images, in a sense, the culture being have you know, easy access to the music, I don't have, you know, I, I'm here behind the curtain. And, uh, and, and that helped me really understand what, what they're having to go through. And it's interesting that the, the, the woman that um, came up to you on the street in Old Havana and, and recognized that you were an American and, and felt like she wanted to share with you right away, we didn't trust the Russians, which was almost like <laughs> saying we're pro-American because we don't like the Russians too, <laughs> you know. Um, right. But, but that makes me wonder because the impression we've been getting um, over the last several years is that there's a lot of, and this actually probably goes back some decades, but there's a lot of anti-American sentiment in different regions around the globe. Is it different in Central America and in Cuba? Uh, are, are people maybe a little bit more pro-American than other parts of the world? I think once you get below the leadership and you have people talking to people, I think a lot of those misconceptions or barriers break down, Tom. For example, there's a, this is going to blow your mind, and they probably know Willie Stargell. I know they do. Uh, there's a place in Havana in their version of Central Park, which is you know smaller than New York's, but it's still beautiful. And there's a place right there, uh, the northeast corner, I believe it is, it's called Skinny Caliente, which means the hot corner. There are people, sometimes hundreds, there they meet there every day, and all they do is talk about baseball. That's the only subject. Really? They talk about baseball. And I went there one time, and again, we're back to that curtain you know, motif or metaphor. When I go there, I love to bring... You know, when I was in Baseball Weekly, I'd bring copies of Baseball Weekly. Maybe I'd bring copies of Sports Illustrated, you know, whatever. i bring in sports sections, sports stuff. And I still remember, this is a long time ago, this is mid-90s, I guess, 97 trip. And I kind of had a bunch of Baseball Weeklies, and I gave them out. I just hand them out. You know, Here you go. And, and you know, people love it. And um, and I handed them out. I'm just kind of sitting there on a bench, taking it in. I may talking with somebody. And all of a sudden, this one guy comes up to me and he's holding up a, like one of the pages he's got it open and it's a picture of cal ripkin and you know who yeah. you know a lot of people uh, would know in our our country and and he's coming up and i'm like going what's this about and he's got it opened up and he's pointing at the picture and he goes is this what he really looks like is this what cal ripkin looks like and i went yeah and, and this guy probably knew more about Cal Ripken. He probably knew more of the stats, more of whatever, but he didn't know what he looked like. And he, and he, and he started, his, his eyes started to get a little misty. And then he closed the, 
he closed it and just was nodding his head and goes, thank you. Now I know. And he just disappeared into the crowd <laughs> of people talking baseball. But there's the disconnect. That's what they're hungry for. They want to be part of the, of the world a little bit, whether it's sports or music or painting or dance or whatever it may be. And, and it blew my mind that here's a guy at San Caliente who can recite statistics, baseball statistics, I can't, and yet he didn't know what Cal Ripken looked like. And there's, there's the rub. There's, there's where things go off the track. Yeah, he knows the guy inside and out, but can't tell you what he looks like. That's. I, I could have showed up with Cal Ripken and sat down, and probably half those people wouldn't have recognized him. It, it's just, again, it's just crazy. Wild. Um, we're just just about out of time, um, which is a shame because I'm having so much fun talking with you, Tim. <laughs> um, Me too, Tim. This is fun. The um, name of the book is. Uh, Escape from Castro's Cuba. It is, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it the long-awaited sequel to <laughs> Escape from Castro's Cuba. Um, but uh, but it's, it's another book among many books written by my guest, Tim Wendell, who's the author of 14 books, many of them uh, sports-related, uh, um, some of them fiction, some of them nonfiction. But, uh, Tim, as we wrap things up, I want to thank you for sharing your uh, travels, exploits, and uh, a little information. The book comes out next month. Uh, but I always give guests an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Do you have a, a website? Yes, I sure do. Um, and actually, the book's starting to ship end of this week, I guess, from some, oh, wow. you know, Amazon Ingram, etc. But yeah, it's just Tim, uh, Wendell.com, W-E-N-D-E-L, Tim, then W-E-N-D-E-L.com. They can find me on the website. Also, there's a contact thing there. So if you want to talk more Cuba, you want to talk about, I don't know, what Brooks Robinson thought of playing three straight winners. <laughs> and I'll try to relate it to you. And you know, Tom, what you and I got to do is, as things open up, because I, you know, especially let's get past COVID, and I end up in Michigan, and actually yeah. I had my grandparents lived on Flushing Road, not that far outside oh, wow. of Flint. But we got to get down to Cuba at some point, because there's a couple clubs there, um, music, that you would just die for. It would just be a lot of fun. Yeah, I would love that, because um, as, as strange as it is, and, you know, I was a kid during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, um, a very, very young kid. I mean, I wasn't really aware of it, but partly because of my fascination with JFK, um, I, I have, by accident, uh, from movies and television and, and stuff, become somewhat enamored with Havana. And But I've never been there. I, you know, it's it's just uh, a curiosity curiosity to me at this point but yeah i think i i would definitely be up for that <laughs> it's a great place to be and actually your u.s dollar goes a long way <laughs> <laughs> well it's good that it does somewhere um, <laughs> anyway tim thank you so much and best of luck um with the with the book and uh, i'm glad to see that it's shipping out already i had a, a publisher release date of uh, march 2nd so um, it, it'll be available everywhere soon. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, very much. 
Oh, my pleasure, Tom. And, and thanks for all your great work. I mean, the interviews you do are, are, are really well done, and I, I enjoy them. Thanks. We're going to take a break. More ahead. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and troubled breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. 
Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you're worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Foundation baseball team. Yes, we just organized the thing. Oh, you did? Sure. Well, I'd like to play on the team myself. You know, I know something about baseball. Well, that would be accomplished. Well, I'd like to know some of the guys' names on the team, so when I'm in on my street or in the ballpark, I'd be able to say hello to them. Why, surely I'll introduce you to the boys. But you know, strange as it may seem, they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. You mean funny names? Nicknames, pet names, like uh, Dizzy Dean. Brother Daffy? Daffy Dean. And I'm their French cousin. French cousin? Gouffet. Gouffet. Uh, Gouffet. <laughs> Well, now, let's see. We have on the bags. We have who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. What silly name? I say who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You know the fellow's name? Well, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. That's it. That's who? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? Have you got a first baseman? Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. <laughs> That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Now, tell me who's on first. That's right. I want to know what's the guy's name on first no, base. No, no, what's on second I'm base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on First. I don't know. He's on third. Now, we're not <laughs> mentioning third. Now, let's get together. How did I get on third base? You happen to mention his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third no, base? No, who is playing first? I'm not asking you who's on first. Who is on first? I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on third? What is on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. But I can't change their name. You got a first baseman? Absolutely. When you pay him off every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Sure he does. <laughs> Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. <laughs> well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Listen, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third, Third base. base. I yes. pick it up. <laughs> you got an outfield? Well, surely. The left fielder's name. Why? I just thought I'd ask. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. <laughs> tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? Stay out of the infield. Uh, don't mention the names out here. I want to know what's the left fielder's what name. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, Third base. base. <laughs> Third base. Look, the left fielder's name 
Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. <laughs> now, you know these players as well as I do. Look, you got a pitcher on a team. Wouldn't this be a fine team without a pitcher? The pitcher's name. Uh, tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, man. Then go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow? You're going to tell me who's pitching. Now, listen. Who is not? I'll break your arm, you say, who's on first. Uh, I, <laughs> I want to know what's the pitcher's What's on second? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Surely. The catcher's name. Today. Today, and tomorrow's pitching. Now you've got it. Now I've got it. I don't even... Look, oh, we got us a couple of, of, of days on a team. I can't That's help that. A couple don't of days. Don't get excited, though. Who's your next Take side it easy. Then? Take it easy. You know, I'm a pretty good catcher myself. Well, tell me. Now, I'll catch today myself. Uh, I'm going right. to catch. Yes. And tomorrow's pitching on a team. Yes. Now, tomorrow throws the ball, and the guy up bunts the ball. Yes. Now, when he bunts the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out of first base. So I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw the ball to first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. <laughs> if I throw the ball to first base, somebody's got to get it. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. Naturally? Naturally. Oh, so I throw the ball to naturally. Hey, you do nothing of the kind. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's it. That's what I said. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Did I throw the ball to naturally? But you don't. I throw it to who? Naturally. That's what I'm saying. You're not working that way. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. You ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. Well, say Same it. as you. <laughs> I throw the ball to who? That's naturally. naturally. Now, whoever it is drops the ball, so the guy runs a second. Yes. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to I don't know? I don't know. Throws it back to tomorrow? Triple play. Yes. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caught. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't give a darn. What'd you say? I said, I don't give a darn. Oh, that's our shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Here's to the mortgage, in fact, here's to suburbia. Lay down your briefcase far from the rat race where nothing can disturb ya. Uncomplicated, it's what we waited for so long in this city. Come, let us go there, live like Thoreau there, a life of sweet simplicity. Did you set the thermostat? No, I don't know where it's at. Tuesday the Cub Scouts meet again. Walk the dog and cut the grass. Take the kids to dancing class. Jim's Little League got beat again. Can't keep a maid here no matter. The place has bad publicity. Why did we move here? Don't you remember to, to live, live in sweet simplicity? simplicity. 
Here's two mosquitoes, clam dip and Fritos, to golf and bridge and scuba there. Men wearing knee pants, women in capri pants, discussing what's with Cuba there. Each big appliance treats you with defiance until it finally falls apart. Call the repairman, in a week he's there, man, to knock your kitchen walls apart. Tommy's got a bloody nose, gotta fix the garden hose. Book of the month club came today. Didn't read the last one yet. Yes, you did, but you forget. Oh, well, they're all the same today. Here's Mrs. Ritter, she's the babysitter. Tonight we're going joyously back to the city where life is gay and witty. Back to the noise there that everyone enjoys there. Back to the crush there, hurry, let us rush there. Back to the rat race, don't forget your briefcase. Back in the groove there, say why don't we move there away, away from, from all of this. Sweet simplicity. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks to uh, Tim Wendell, my guest this uh, past hour, for discussing what's with Cuba there. And um, before that, we talked with uh, Dan Vaughn from Invisibly um, about the uh, about Valentine's Day and what people are planning to do for it in the survey that Invisibly did using their real-time research. Also want to say thanks to our uh, constitutional law guru, Brendan Beery, who I opened the show up with this morning, talking about the uh, impeachment in part two of uh, the House manager's uh, uh, presentation, uh, their opening statement, if you will, starts in just a couple of minutes in the, uh, in the U.S. Senate. Anyway, uh, as I mentioned, uh, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. David Hamilton from the uh, Happy Curmudgeons will be my musical guest tomorrow. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.